team at Epic Sciences constantly strives to push the boundaries of medical technology, finding vital answers to personalize and transform healthcare. Define MBC is a liquid biopsy test from Epic Sciences that evaluates key biomarkers such as ER and HER2 status to help create care plans for patients with metastatic breast cancer, all through a blood draw. If you are interested in learning more, please visit definembc.com. Welcome to Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. Your host is Michelle Beck. Our show is here to help breast cancer patients, survivors, thrivers, their friends and family by providing resources, support, and inspiration they can use right now. Here is your host, Michelle Beck. Hello and welcome to Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. I am Michelle Beck. I'm your host here. I'm a two-time tenure survivor of breast cancer. I'm the patient programs assistant at Breast Friends of Oregon. And when I have time, you can find me on social media at I Never Liked Pink. So today I'm super excited about my guests because I have a really a panel of experts here who have done so much work for those in the metastatic community. Tomorrow, October 13th, is National Breast National Metastatic breast cancer awareness day. And if you're listening here, you know, that metastatic breast cancer is underserved. It's becoming more prevalent and really needs more research and just more of everything. And these three individuals I have here are doing the work. So I want to welcome Dr. Dr. Nora Booker, medical oncologist at Compass Oncology here in Portland, where I go. So shout out to Compass as always. And from Epic Sciences, Kendra Horn, medical science liaison and doctorate level nurse, and Brian Strike, director of marketing with an extensive background in genetic counseling. And today we're going to discuss a new liquid biopsy test, which can provide additional information for those who are fighting metastatic breast cancer define MBC. And I would also like to thank Epic Sciences for sponsoring this episode today to help ensure breast friends on its mission that no one goes through cancer alone. So first, I'm going to start off with Dr. Booker. Would you please introduce yourself and share a bit about how treatment for metastatic breast cancer has changed over the past decade? Sure. Uh, Hello, my name is Dr. Nora Booker, and I practice here in Portland as a medical oncologist. Uh, I do treat a lot of breast cancer, and that's my uh, uh, clinical interest. And it has been an exciting time for breast cancer uh, treatment in terms of the past 10 years. Lots has changed, and every subset of breast cancer, we've seen uh, advancements in medications and uh, diagnostic technology. Um, from everybody with her two positive breast cancer to triple negative to uh, hormone receptor positive breast cancer. There's been great advances, including the Define NBC test. Wonderful. Now, how has the treatment changed over time? Because as there's so many advances that keep going on and many people, when they hear metastatic breast cancer, it's very sobering, but I know there've been a lot of advances in how it's, how it's really taken care of and, and handled proactively. I, I may nerd out a little bit. There are different subtypes of medications that have come into the uh, treatment landscape. Um, Antibody drug conjugates for, especially for uh, her two positive breast cancer. Um, 
also in the triple negative space, we're using more immunotherapy, which is exciting. Mm -hmm. And then in uh, hormone receptor positive breast cancer, we have targeted therapies with the uh, CDK4-6 uh, inhibitors that we pair up with endocrine therapy. Um, and all of uh, and all of the, the the future is exciting and it's bright for for metastatic breast cancer. There's many advances coming our way. Well, that is very good to hear because it, it is. I know many metastatic women, and the Define MBC test is fabulous. I know we're going to get into that later. So, Kendra, I'm going to jump over to you. Can you please introduce yourself? And so, you've been in the space for for a long time. Tell us what you've seen as a nurse practitioner going, helping patients who've gone through or in the throes of metastatic disease, how it's changed in your eyes for the, in the last 10 years. Yes. Yeah, so first uh, there's been so many advancement um, over the past 10 years, but I would like to begin uh, first with the care model of the patient. Um, it has emerged to being a patient centric model it is no longer the MD and the nurse. And there's a co supporter collaborative team to assist with the patient's journey um, throughout the healthcare with just ever evolving and, and truly complex system. Um, and this may include the oncologist, the nurse, the APP, which embodies the MPR, the PA, the pharmacist, the social worker and nurse navigator and so on. So that has been great to see just that collaborative care to, to embark upon this journey with the patient. And then second, um, the advancements of treatment therapies has truly been exciting over these past years. I, I cannot speak um, highly enough about just that excitement. New drugs and advanced therapies um, extend to increase the patient outcomes. And this has been so impactful for the patients, um, their loved ones, and for the providers who provide the care. I, I definitely love the new team aspect that you're talking about, because in, in years past, it really was the, the oncologist who's saying, this is what you're going to do. We're going to move forward. And not really having a lot of a choice, but yeah. now one thing I really talk about here on this podcast is to be your own advocate as much yeah. as possible. And yes, you really do need a lot of help from the entire team when you're going through metastatic disease, but being a part of what is the decision-making process and having all of you lay out for them and care for them, but allowing them to say, yes, yes, this, no, and mm -hmm. deciding what is right for them is so important coming from a patient's perspective. I totally agree. Perfect. So I'm going to jump over to Brian. So please introduce yourself and what you do at uh, Epic Sciences. And so you have specialized in genetics and how has that changed over the past decade or so in what you've seen in metastatic breast cancer? Thanks, Michelle. Yeah, I'm the director of marketing at Epic Sciences, um, but have a background in genetic counseling and have been in the cancer genetic space for about 15 years. It, it's been really phenomenal to see the transition in the role that genetics has played over the last decade. Now, if we go back really about 10 years or so, when you thought about genetics and breast cancer, people predominantly only thought about a handful of genes. You know, BRCA1 and 2 obviously come to mind, and there were a couple of others that were coming to light. But in reality, only patients who were maybe diagnosed with breast cancer really young or who had a very strong family history of breast or ovarian cancer would, would kind of be pursuing genetic testing. And in many of those families, it was more of a risk assessment calculation and sort of understanding what's the risk of a second primary or what's the risk of developing ovarian cancer after breast cancer 
for the unaffected family members, what's the risk of developing breast cancer and do you wanna take prophylactic measures? Um, you know, certainly in 2013, there was the kind of the bombshell story of Angelina Jolie and the decisions she made. That really helped bring genetics and cancer genetics to the forefront. What we've seen over the last decade is not only a, a massive expansion in terms of who potentially would benefit from genetic testing and the number of genes that we look at, but specific to metastatic breast cancer, we're not, we're not just looking at sort of what we call inherited or you know, hereditary genetics, what you're born with, but we're also looking at the genetics of the cancer, trying to you know, identify uh, the, the, the tumor cells themselves and identifying at a genetic level, how is that tumor evolving? And the, the great advance really for metastatic breast cancer is as we understand how the, the tumor is evolving at a genetic level, gaining a better understanding of what targeted therapies may best benefit that specific patient and best target their tumor. That's well, as knowing, I, I know enough to be dangerous about metastatic <laughs> breast cancer. Um, but really from what I do know there, are, the patients that I've seen, they quite often try a variety of treatments and I'm assuming that's what we're going to get into define MBC later, but that helps so much determine what is needed next. So I, I, I'm fascinated by this whole thing. So I'm going to jump back to you, Dr. Booker. So let's talk about the current, the current state of care for metastatic patients. And as an oncologist, can you describe what the first couple appointments would be like for someone who comes in, whether they are diagnosed um, de novo or they have been just going through and then they've had cancer previously and then they become metastatic. What, what is that like for you as an oncologist and what do you see for your patients? Um, for patients who I've been following for a long time, who then develop metastatic disease, uh, it's a hard conversation and it, the workup and everything that we're testing for as we go along is riddled with kind of this feeling of what, you know, what's going to happen when we get these tests back and, and what does it all mean? And it's a, it's a difficult uh, couple of visits. Um, usually uh, I, I, I tend to, you know, I, I'm the kind of a doctor that hugs my patients and I um, just kind of give a lot of love in the visit. And so I think we're, it's a very emotional visit usually. Mm -hmm. Um, and then even patients who I just met who have uh, newly diagnosed metastatic breast cancer, you know, that's equally uh, scary. And uh, I, I try to reach a bond right away with a patient and, and get to know them and, and get to know what their goals are and their loves and their desires and, and um, just really try to kind of become a partner in the whole care plan with them. I, I love to hear that because when you have a patient who's diagnosed metastatic, you are going to be with them really for the remainder of their time. And so creating that bond and the compassion that you give them is so important. So, and I, I've heard wonderful things about your care. So you're definitely rocking oh, that. Um, so are there specific, when you, when you do the testing and the biopsies, are there specific markers or features of a patient's cancer that you're most worried about? Well, we look at the whole picture and, you know, the pro we always talk about prognostics, which are the, the uh, hormone receptors and the HER2 
that's very important to know. We also rely on the pathologist to kind of give us an idea of what the grade of the tumor is, which is different than staging. Grading is looking at under the microscope, how, how the cells look, you know, either they look mostly like a breast cancer cell that's gone a little bit awry, or do they look kind of crazy and growing really rapidly? And that's usually grade three. I, you know, pay strong attention to that. Um, certainly if there are lymph nodes involved at the time of a biopsy or at surgery, um, that changes the conversation a bit in terms of uh, patient may need chemotherapy, uh, how will radiation be affected, these sorts of um, discussions. Um, with metastatic breast cancer, um, it really is the prognostics that we look at. And especially if a patient has been followed for years, and then we're worried about uh, that she or he has developed a metastatic lesion, we go after it with a biopsy. And that's that's the preferred um if we can get a tissue biopsy, um, that's what we, we do to, to ensure what uh, has gone, gone on with the breast cancer. A lot of times the receptors can change and the treatment paradigm will thus change. Yeah, I've definitely heard about that. I know, I know many women who've been hormone positive, HER2 negative, and then they're diagnosed triple negative metastatic. Yeah. And it's kind of like mind boggling. We're like, oh, God, that cancer's too smart, unfortunately. Yes. <laughs> so how do you, because there is advancements in research going on all the time when you're busy with patient care and doing all the things that you do stay up to date with all of the new research, because it has to be coming at you like through floodgates. Uh, it, it is. And I check email blasts and try to read journals as much as I can. And I also attend, um, there are a lot of, uh, local meetings. And now with the, you know, we all in, in embrace Zoom or somewhat embrace it, but <laughs> there, we're able to, I'm able to go to more national meetings and, you know, by staying at home and just learning that way from experts, um, you know, quick one hour or two hour after work, like a, a talk on uh, her two positive breast cancer is really helpful to learn from, you know, key opinion leaders. Um, but, you know, journals, the internet, other colleagues, certainly. So, well, thank you for what you do, because it really sounds like you're in your majority of your life is taken up with cancer and it's so needed and so appreciated because it is not an easy thing. Um, what are, what do you see as the biggest challenges for taking care of patients who are metastatic? Um, there are many, I, you know, we rely on, on treatments that are evidence-based and have, um, proven survival benefit or, uh, response benefit. And oftentimes I get dismayed when a patient doesn't have um, a long enough response with the treatment and we have to go on to something else. I think that's um, a big challenge. And I'll, I'll start, I'll mention just this idea of biopsy again, um, because at each turn when a patient progresses, um, it's not quite feasible to keep getting biopsies to see if the receptors have changed. And that's where, um, you know, these new di newer diagnostics are really helping us um, care for patients and, and without making them go through even more than they have to go through. Um, but I, there are a, a lot of uh, challenges facing metastatic breast cancer, but I do, I, I, I think our treatments are getting better and our diagnostics are, are getting way better as well. Well, and finding methods where patients can be 
tested for whatever they need to in terms of their what's coming up next in their treatment. It's so important that they don't feel like a pincushion all the time. Right. Because I mean, I've I've only been through it twice and I've had a few biopsies, but for those who are metastatic, it can be over and over again, which can be incredibly disheartening on top of their diagnosis. So right. the new advances are amazing. Now, Kendra, when you are dealing with metastatic patients and their families, how do you balance the excitement and hope with new discoveries from the reality of what they're going through. It has to be incredibly difficult. It is difficult, um, you know, and, and, and we care about the patients, you know, I've, I've been impacted by so many patients over the years, their loved ones, you know, it's become family. Um, you know, I think about them all the time, even with my new role. And I've, you know, I've left the, the clinical practice um, just recently, but, you know, first I would like to acknowledge that no matter the stage of the cancer diagnosis, uh, the patient will forever be impacted. This is a, a lifelong journey, but with metastatic breast cancer patients, it definitely adds that additional layer of, of that consistency because the routine office visits, you know, they've become the mainstay, which makes the the relationship with the provider and their care team, whether it's the nurse, the APP, or what that looks like, even more critical and vital for that patient as they continue on. Um, So as I stated previously, there has been an evolution of treatment options um, that are now available for the patients, which include clinical trials, which may not have been there before um, or or even been deemed as an option for this patient. So that has been definitely um, been reassuring, I think, um, as I've grown um, personally and professionally. Um, being able to interact with the patients, knowing that the advancements have definitely continued to emerge and evolve um, so rapidly. Um, And so that's been great to see. And then also I wanted to add um, that the supportive measures that have also improved over the years So if we're placing a patient on a medication where we anticipate certain side effects, because these are these are toxic medications and they they do come with the side effects. But I will say um, the supportive measures have definitely improved as well. And so if the patients, um, you know, maybe one of the side effects could be like nausea and vomiting and diarrhea, we are practically preparing the patients with medications to minimize um, these side effects, which also helps with the patient's um, as they can continue on and with their quality of life as they, you know, engage with these different treatment options. One of the things that I always do talk about the women that I help support at Breast Friends, obviously I'm not coming at this from a medical professional, but from my own experience, I love my, mm-hmm. my medical team, but I also really am big on integrative medicine, whether yes. it's acupuncture mm-hmm. or physical therapy, myofascial therapy, meditation, because you having the mindset and the other merging Western and Eastern medicine, I think is really important. That's for me personally. Um, but you know, a huge fan of all things medical, because that's what, that's what you guys are here for. Um, I do want to jump back to Dr. Booker because I know there has been some amazing new revelations and research that have come out recently about her to low breast cancer. And I know very little about this other than I know it's very exciting. So can you explain what that is, please? Sure. Um, uh, historically, we would call her, uh, her, her two positive, which now uh, we're, uh, it's not so black and white anymore. Um, when the pathologist looks under the, the microscope at the, the tumor tissue on the slide, they stain it for the um, her two receptor. This is via immunohistochemistry. And on that, you can kind of grade it between zero being totally negative up to three being very positive. 
And um, we also use fish testing to confirm uh, HER2 positivity. But in the case of HER2 low, what that means is that the staining is either a one or a two. It's not totally negative at a zero and it's not a three, it's not plus, it's not highly positive. And HER2 low actually um, was previously called HER2 negative. And we're finding uh, that that is a subset of breast cancer that actually is responding to a wonderful medication that is also used in HER2 positive, well, HER2 high uh, metastatic breast cancer. That, yeah, I've definitely never heard of that before. I was, I know that I know what the HER2 is. And if you're positive, it's typically looked at as not great. And for what little I know is if you're, if you're HER2 positive, you definitely, you know, have chemo, but I'm sure moving on, um, it's, you're going to find out so much more about how it's treatable. Now, how do patients know, obviously you guys figured out, but, um, if they have HER2 low breast cancer, how do they find out or, um, what, so I know you explained the marker system, like, um, the ones, the two and the three, but mm -hmm. how would you differentiate the treatment for someone who's one versus a three? Is there something, or it's all treated as positive? Oh, um, well, so with her two, let's say high positive or three plus that, uh, takes patient down a pathway of, um, anti HER2 therapy usually combined with, well, depending on the, the line of therapy can be combined with the, uh, chemotherapy, or it could be a chemotherapy and antibody drug conjugate. Um, if it's her too low, uh, nowadays there's uh FAMTRAST, Tuzumab, Durextacan, or it's also known as an HER2 that has come out. It came out in the uh, publication in the New England Journal of Medicine that that medication is very helpful for people with HER2 low, um, typically hormone receptor positive or even uh, hormone receptor negative breast cancer. And that also, that same medication is used in the HER2 high population. Um, but it's opened up a whole uh, new treatment paradigm for those with this HER2 low uh, breast cancer. Okay. Thank you for that explanation because I, I knew it was good, but I didn't know why it was good. So I appreciate <laughs> that. And I'm sure with many of our listeners, it's the same. So Kendra, I'm going to jump back to you. So as a nurse practitioner, you are quite often sitting there in the past before you became the medical liaison, mm -hmm. um, ho potentially holding someone's hand sure. as they're, as they're getting biopsies. And as we mentioned earlier, if you are metastatic, you're quite often moved from treatment to treatment. What is it like? And what are the challenges for patients who continually have to get new tissue needle biopsies? Sure. Well, uh, you know, one of the, the challenges that we know is that, you know, it's an invasive procedure and can be quite painful. Um, that's just the one um, that first course jumps out. But additionally, depending on the location of the, and the size of the visceral disease in that, for example, in the lungs or the liver, the procedure can be quite complex and can cause, you know, complications such as perforation, infection, and our um, an unattended organ injury. Um, another challenge can occur with the bone biopsies with the necessity of uh, decalcification of the bone when the procedure is being performed. Um, this may cause the inability for the accurate reading of the biomarkers, uh, which is needed to guide the treatment. Um, so that just basically encompassed some, some of the challenges, you know, that we've seen with the tissue biopsies and what that looks like. Now, for a, I know there is no typical metastatic patient, but mm -hmm. how often do patients have to get these new tissue biopsies before they start a new line of treatment? 
Yeah, so in most practices, um, whether that's in the academic institutions or community-based oncologists, um, the providers follow the NCCN guidelines and ASCO guidelines with, where you um, you should pursue or come from, come from more, uh, sorry, a tissue biopsy that confirms the metastatic disease if there's suspected recurrence or metastatic disease for the first line of therapy. However, when the patient progresses to um, say second line and beyond treatments, there's usually no additional biopsies to perform um, unless there's a new site of disease. And so that, that can, you know, that information we know that um, receptor conversion occurs. We also know as the, the patient um, um, is treated with additional treatment therapies, that variants can occur. So we're potentially missing out on um, information as the patient progresses because we're not looking at um, having um, biopsies performed on a regular um, basis. Now, if someone is diagnosed metastatic and it's in multiple places, lungs, yes. liver, bone, before they start a new line of treatment, do you have to go in and needle biopsy every place that they're showing lesions? No, that's not common, common practice. We look at a variety of different things when we select which site of disease. Uh, first is, you know, which disease, you know, which site, which is the, the more feasible technically for them to do it. So if that lesion is say in the liver or the lung, we're trying to, the, the, you're trying to make the best decision in regards to the size and the location and also the accessibility. So you're usually um, for the most part, not um, if there's three sites of disease, for example, that you just mentioned, you're not going to biopsy each one of them. You're, you're going with that criteria that I just mentioned. Okay, now, if there's I, a new, if, I'm sorry, if there's a new spot that occurs, um, you know, as they progress through the treatment. So like if it, the patient started off with just say bone disease or liver disease, and there's, there's a new spot as they progress to say the lung, then that biopsy will occur. Okay. That, that makes sense. Thank you. I'm, I'm needle phobic. It, it, comes sure. from, it comes from my doctor giving me giant penicillin shots when I was a kid. So unfortunately it has carried through into my cancer journey and I'm, I'm sweating as we're sitting here talking about biopsies. <laughs> don't sweat. Don't sweat. <laughs> I know I'm going to have to turn on my fan to combat the, the needle sweat and the hot flashes. Uh, so we have so much more to talk about, but we are going to take a quick break. Listeners, please stay with us. You can make a donation to Breast Friends on our website to help us ensure that no one goes through cancer alone or by texting BF Radio to 41444. If you'd like to be a guest here on the show or email me your warrior story to share, I can be reached at Michelle Beck at breastfriends.org. Stay with us. We'll be back in a minute. Thank you for listening today. Breast Friends needs your support. We rely on donations to continue our mission that no woman goes through cancer alone and to keep the show going. Please consider making a tax-deductible donation to Breast Friends. You can text BF Radio to 41444 or visit us at breastfriends.org to donate. You can also like us on Facebook at Breast Friends of Oregon or follow us on Instagram at Breast Friends PDX. Be sure to tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern Time for Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. The team at Epic Sciences constantly strives to push the boundaries of medical technology, finding vital answers to personalize and transform healthcare. Define MBC is a liquid biopsy test from Epic Sciences that evaluates key biomarkers such as ER and HER2 status 
to help create care plans for patients with metastatic breast cancer, all through a blood draw. If you are interested in learning more, please visit definenbc.com. You are tuned in to Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. To reach the program today, please call us at 1-866-472-5792. Again, that's 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to Michelle Beck at breastfriends.org. Now, back to the show. Welcome back to Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. I'm Michelle Beck, and we are talking about metastatic breast cancer, and we are going to get to this really quick, a new liquid biopsy test that can provide additional information with those who are fighting metastatic breast cancer. I've got Dr. Nora Booker from Compass Oncology and Kendra Horn and Brian Strike from Epic Sciences. So Brian, you are the genetic specialist we've got here today on the call. So what is happening at a genetic level with these cancers? And does that change during mutation? And, and here's where I'm going to stop talking because that's the limit of my genetic knowledge. <laughs> <laughs> no, that, that's great. That's exactly, that's exactly right. So as, as Dr. Booker alluded to earlier, um, sometimes when the pathologist looks at these cancer cells under the microscope, what they see is that some of these cells have gone awry. And that, that's kind of what's happening at a genetic level with these cells, kind of as they as they progress through the, their kind of cancer journey, they start to behave very poorly is how I think about it. You know, they, they no longer look like breast cancer cells under a microscope and the, the sort of number and extent of genetic mutations that we see in those cancer cells also increases dramatically. Now, the, the reason that happens is I, I think of it sort of as evolution happening in warp speed these cancer cells are potentially being targeted with a specific therapy that is meant to you know, target and kill off those specific cells. Well, a few of those cells are gonna go rogue and either develop a new mutation to avoid, you know, their, avoid being killed off by that treatment or these tumors, you know, they're not all the same. They're, you know, not all the cancer cells are the same. So there, there might be some cancer cells that you know, aren't going to be targeted by that treatment and those are the cells that are going to survive and continue to grow and spread. Every time a new treatment is introduced, there's an opportunity for that evolution to happen in warp speed. So new mutations to avoid the treatment. I mean, c- cancer is a very nasty thing. And really that's at all levels, including the genetic level. It's a, it's a nasty, nasty enemy that is actively trying to avoid targeted treatments. Okay. I'm not going to lie. When you were talking about this in the description, all I could think of was that it is a teenager. <laughs> and I say that with love. Cause I, I've, I have four older step kids who are 17 to 24. We've been through those crazy teenage years and they're the worst. <laughs> and literally as you were describing it, I'm like, yes, that's exactly how it is. It's uncontrollable. We cannot figure it out and we're doing the best we can. <laughs> So Brian, we've, we've alluded to it a few times, but can you explain the difference between the liquid biopsy, which Epic Sciences has created and how it's additional, different from a traditional tissue biopsy? Yeah, for sure. So as, as Dr. Booker and Kandra both alluded to before, a, a tissue biopsy is the standard of care, uh, particularly for patients who are newly diagnosed or for patients who are kind of recently diagnosed with a, a metastatic disease doing that tissue biopsy is the standard of care. 
Um, and obviously, as we've discussed, that's an invasive procedure, um, which sometimes that's easier to do than others, depending on you know, the size and the location of that, that metastatic lesion. A liquid biopsy, by contrast, liquid biopsy is just kind of a fancy term. It, it's a blood draw. You know, it's, it, it's nothing more sophisticated. Um, you know, Michelle, I, I know you don't like needles, so you probably don't like that either, but um, it, it's a blood draw. Um, there are liquid biopsies have been around for uh, almost a decade now in terms of kind of commercial tests or clinical tests on the market. Um, what the liquid biopsy does, it, in addition to being less invasive than a tissue biopsy, you know, blood draw still isn't fun. I don't like needles either, but, you know. 100% better than a tissue biopsy. I've, I've had those and literally I have PTSD from them. So I would take a needle in my arm any day. For, for sure. So, so it is less invasive than a tissue biopsy. Um, the, the other thing that a liquid biopsy can do is potentially give us a broader view of what's happening at a genetic level within the cancer cells. Now, if you think about a tissue biopsy, it's essentially taking a, it's, it's looking at sort of looking through kind of a peephole of the tumor because it's pulling out a small portion of the tumor. It's not getting the entire tumor. It's pulling out a small portion of the tumor. And then you're going to do protein analysis like ER and HER2 or genetic analysis on that tiny portion. Um, not all of the cells in the tumor are necessarily the same. You know, there can be differences from one side of the tumor to the other, as an example. So what a liquid biopsy does is it's kind of sampling from across all the different cancer cells and cancer DNA that ends up in a patient's bloodstream. So rather than looking through kind of a narrow peephole, it's sort of like looking through a, a full picture window. And so when we think about uh, the, the fancy term for this is tumor heterogeneity, Essentially, all that means is that not all the cancer cells are the same. And even though tissue biopsy is the standard of care and it's a great thing, sometimes it doesn't always capture that heterogeneity. It doesn't always account for not all the cells are the same, whereas a liquid biopsy test can potentially um, you know, better account for those differences across cancer cells. Well, obviously, Epic Sciences is working on changing the standard of care because you have created a new test for women, which is the liquid biopsy test called Define MBC. Can you talk about that? Yeah, for sure. So we're, we're very excited about Define MBC. It is, uh, it's been available since April to a small number of cancer centers across the United States, um, including Dr. Booker's practice, um, which we're, we're very thankful for. Um, for the last six months, we've essentially been doing, um, you know, gathering feedback from a small number of oncologists about the product, how to make it better, and, uh, you know, working on getting kind of broad reimbursement for the product um, so that when, when we make it broadly available, cost and access to testing is not an issue. Um, just to nerd out for a moment, kind of one technical thing that's really interesting or different about Define MBC many liquid biopsy tests on the market will look for cancer DNA that's floating in the patient's blood and do genetic testing on that cancer DNA. Define MBC is able to do that, but additionally, Define MBC also identifies whole intact cancer cells that are floating in the patient's blood. Now, the importance of that is by identifying entire intact cancer cells, we can do protein analysis like ER status, like HER2 status, which, which you're not able to do from just looking at the DNA. 
an analogy that I that I like to use on this front is if if you're doing DNA testing, that's kind of like if you're trying to make a recipe, right? Like imagine you're trying to bake chocolate chip cookies. Um, DNA analysis is sort of like doing a spell check on your recipe book. There's obviously a lot of utility to that because if there's a typo or a page missing to your recipe, you're gonna screw up your chocolate chip cookies. However, what that does not tell you, it doesn't tell you how many cookies you actually made. <laughs> um, and so essentially by doing both looking at the DNA and looking at the, the, the cells where we can look at protein expression, that's where we can actually tell you, are there any errors in your recipe and how many baked goods did you actually make? Do we see DNA genetic changes? And what are the levels of these key proteins that we're looking at? You're obviously doing trials with the various oncology centers around the country. How long has Epic been working on Define MBC till it gets to the point where it can be testing before it goes to, to market, let's say? Yeah, great question. So it's it's been in kind of re, a research and development phase for a number of years. Um, kind of the, the scientific platform that Epic Sciences is using uh, to identify those cancer cells and also the, the, the tumor DNA that's in the blood. There have been studies, you know, going back many, many years, sort of validating that and making sure it's a, a robust and an accurate approach. Um, Define MBC itself, so kind of using that scientific platform to look to help patients with breast cancer, we've been working on that for the last couple of years, you know, kind of doing the key validation studies, you know, making sure that if we say something is there, it's truly there. You know, we. We don't want false positives. We don't want false negatives. Um, so a number of years of kind of research and validation studies have, have gone into it. And then it's sort of been limitedly available in a clinical setting for the last six months. Perfect. Thank you. So Kandra, I'm going to jump over to you. Now we're talking about how this is available in, in the, you call it the clinical experience program. And I'm sure you're working with the centers. Mm -hmm. Can you kind of give us the details on, so we started six months ago, how it's been put out into the various um, cancer centers across the country and how that's working out. Yes, it's been an excellent program. Um, the main objectives of the clinical experience program were to enable um, the participating cancer centers and the physicians to evaluate um, the functionality of Define MBC in up to eight appropriate patients with metastatic breast cancer. Uh, so clinical um, characteristics of the patient's indications included um, whether they had the primary um, prior primary breast cancer presenting with suspected metastatic recurrence where tissue biopsy result uh, was unavailable, inadequate, or inconclusive prior to the first line metastatic breast cancer treatment, um, if they were unresponsive to current metastatic breast cancer treatment, and a tissue biopsy result was unavailable, um, inadequate or inconclusive prior to second line of later metastatic breast cancer treatment. Um, we're currently in the expanded access program where we are continuing to expand um, throughout the regions and adding additional cancer centers to ensure that when we launch this product commercially that we have enlisted and taken in consideration all the feedback from the patients and the experts in the breast cancer field for the clinical utility of Defined at BC. Perfect. Now, Dr. Booker, you have been putting this into practice with your patients. And how do you feel as, as an oncologist who's really on the front lines with the patients who are metastatic, that it's providing value to your patients? Um, if I may use an, a patient example, uh, I think it illustrates the, the value of Define MVC. I had um, I inherited a practice and I was following a patient who previously had had um, early stage breast cancer and was coming in for follow-up and her, 
um, some people don't check tumor markers. We had been checking tumor markers and her tumor marker had gone up and she also subsequently had a bone scan and, a, and then about a month later, a CT scan. The bone scan, everything was fine. The CT scan said, oh, there are some bone lesions. So that kind of, that's a little bit incongruous, but um, that coupled with her rising tumor marker prompted me to get a, try to get a bone biopsy. But that was not feasible just by the nature of where they were located. They were too small. And sometimes a bone biopsy, we really want a lot of tissue for a bone biopsy. So um, I used Define NBC in this case, and I've been astounded that not only did it it did find the cancer cells, found the DNA expression and the um, ER, the estrogen receptor positivity, but it also found HER2 positive or HER2 enriched circulating cells, which is something really important for um, the future as right now we're kind of exploring endocrine therapy manipulation with the CDK4, CDK4, four, six inhibitors, but in the future, she'll probably be a candidate for other treatments that normally wouldn't have been to her, wouldn't have been available mm -hmm. to her. Um, and she's been thrilled with the test. I've run it a few times on her just because as she's going undergoing treatment and kind of the other cool thing that you, the test provides is you can see sort of a diminishment of the cells as treatment is going on. Um, it's not necessarily the reason to get the test, but um, I've been fortunate to be part of this program where I have a little more leeway in ordering the test um, as much as I would like. And that's been wonderful. Um, but the patient experience has been very positive, really, you know, great. It's just from a blood draw. It's not a, a tissue biopsy and we're getting a lot of answers. I love that because there are a lot of people out there like me who are like needles. No, even, even, or the tissue biopsies, even when you have metastatic breast cancer, like, you know, they're good for you and you need to have them, but it's still no fun. So no. definitely just the liquid biopsy is so much better. Now, Brian, if people, um, are interested as in patients or even oncology centers, how would they get involved in the Define MBC program or the clinical experience program? Yeah, absolutely. So um, easiest way to find more information is on our website, which is just definembc.com, which I think some of that might be mentioned in the, the show notes for, for the podcast here. Um, we, we have some basic information about the product there. And then we also have an information capture section where if someone wants to kind of connect with us to find out more information, they can fill in their information. Um, you know, we, we've got some, we've, we've got a brochure for patients that'll kind of help summarize things there. Um, we've got a great nurse practitioner in Kandra who can help answer any questions. Um, and, and then for any providers, you know, doctors, nurses, navigators who, who are interested, we, we have a, a whole slew of in, information um, that, that we can provide and uh, kind of, if they're interested, get them signed up to try to start ordering the test. Now, how long do you think it will be until this is widely available um, with out of, outside of your clinical experience program? Yeah, great question. So right now we're anticipating um, January, 2023. So just in a few months um, is sort of our anticipation. You know, part of this is we wanna make sure we, our lab is kind of scaled, you know, it, it's a, there's a lot of different components to the test, a lot of different things to do. So we need to make sure that our, our, our lab is able to, to run the test, uh, you know, really effectively or in a time efficient manner, um, because we, we haven't touched on this too much yet, but obviously time is of the essence for, for, for patients with metastatic disease and for their providers. 
And so, you know, Dr. Bucher can probably, you know, give some examples where when we when we first launched this in, in the spring, the turnaround time to get results was about 21 days. You know, some, some took a little longer, um, but we're, we're trending downward and our goal is to get that, uh, right now we're getting closer to a 14 day turnaround time. And our goal is to get that to around between 10 and 14 days by January, we're really making it fast enough where we're, you know, it's not slowing down that decision-making process too much. You know, a patient isn't going too long in between their, their different treatment uh, plans. Now, as a, as a non-medical person, how long, so it's, it's a liquid biopsy test. So it's essentially a type of a blood test. Do the cells need to transform somehow out of the body, or that's just how long it takes to get through the process to be evaluated in the 10 to 14 day period? Yeah, no, that, that's a great question, Michelle. And the, the cells are, the cells are very fragile. They're very delicate, which is, you know, defined MBC is kind of a unique product on the market. There, there really aren't other tests that are looking at both the cells and the, the DNA. Um, the DNA will float around in the blood for, for a fairly long time and be fairly stable. Um, it, it's not easy to find it. It's not easy to test it. But relatively speaking, you know, that's not the challenging part. Um, the challenging part is the cells and how they're, they're kind of rare and they're very fragile. So we actually need to get the blood sample at our laboratory in about two to three days, 48 to 72 hours, uh, so that we can start the, the, the process of you know, processing the blood and looking for those cells. Um, and, and then the, the turnaround time is really related to, we're doing a couple of different things. We're identifying the cells. Once we identify them, then we're doing the, um, the fancy term is the immunofluorescence, which is basically like our fancy chemistry of how we're looking to see those ER and HER2 receptor, the, 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 the levels of those proteins. Um, and then in parallel, we're looking at the DNA. So there's kind of two or three different kind of pieces of information that the lab then puts back together at the end. Got it. Now, we had mentioned standard of care earlier, and that is basically the tissue biopsies. How does Epic and other companies out there work to change the standard of care for something like this, which to me seems like a no brainer, but obviously getting through the hurdles in the medical community can be challenging. Yeah, I'll speak to that maybe from the lab side and then Dr. Bucher or Kander, you know, maybe from the, the side of sort of clinical adoption. Um, it, it's a great question because it, it sounds great, you know, and like you, you hear about these new technologies and it sounds amazing and you wonder, well, well why isn't this the new standard of care? Um, well, we want to make sure that we we're providing value-based care and you know evidence-based care to patients. And so that's why there are these kind of different hurdles. The first one being kind of validation studies, demonstrating that what we say we can find, we can actually find. Um, then there's sort of the the actual clinical utilization, you know, us running samples in our laboratory on, you know, just blood sample, you know, kind of it's different doing it in a kind of contrived laboratory setting versus actual clinical samples that are, you know, coming from Portland or coming from the East Coast to our lab in San Diego. Um, so we kind of need to have that clinical experience and, you know, appreciate partners like, like Dr. Bucher and the, the others who are participating. Um, the third piece is really like you kind of need outcome studies, you know, to sort of demonstrate that if you do this type of liquid biopsy test and you treat patients based off of this liquid biopsy test, do, do they experience outcomes that are similar or better to the current standard of care? And so, you know, tissue biopsy is the current standard of care. And so kind of the long-term 
research studies or validation studies we need to do are comparing, you know, if you do define MBC and you make a care plan, you make a treatment plan based off of those results, how do those patients do relative to if they had gone the traditional standard of care route? Got it. So Dr. Booker, so your patients who have gone through this, is there a process at the end of the, of their, you know, after you do their, the defined MBC, do you go back and have them do like, I mean, some kind of a survey or is it you filling out information to give back to Epic on the efficacy and how well you think it's working or the patient thinks it's working? Uh, there isn't a formal survey. We, you know, I'll just talk with the folks at Epic about um, my experience and the patient experience. Uh, having a survey might be a kind of a good idea. Um, so thank you, Michelle. Um, <laughs> no problem. I'm here to help. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. And then as far as getting the word out from my end, I, you know, I'm just in constantly wanting my colleagues to adopt new things that are really cool and trying to convince them is, is, not a challenge, but sometimes, you know, we just need to push a little bit. And I know getting the word out amongst patients will help too, because the more, more patients know the, the better. Um, and they have a strong voice in this. So, um, you know, getting the word out is important. Perfect. Now, Kendra, I'm going to jump back over to you here since you're dealing in the past, you've dealt more with patients mm -hmm. and you help answer questions. Obviously, um, there there is a cost associated with tests like these how, and metastatic breast cancer is obviously very expensive because it's constant yes. care. How does, are there programs now where Epic helps cover the cost or what do you do with insurance now? Because this is such a new test. How does that work? If you can talk about that a little bit. Sure. So at this, at this present time, we have just basically, um, you know, gone out and, and, and contracted with, you know, the um, insurance coverage to make sure that, um, you know, we meet the needs in regards to financially with the patients. As of right now, we have not had, the, um, we've ha had no problems with that because this has been basically a, a free test. And I say that in quotes um, where there was no issues with that. But as of right now, we, we definitely have recently, um, you know, met that measure in regards to insurance coverage reimbursement and what that looks like. And when we launch commercially, if there's ever any issues, you know, we'll be able to, um, you know, talk with our the financial team in regards to making sure that everything is covered. I love that. I, I just personally did a test of my own tumor and for something else, my past tumors, and they worked with me on my financial income in our home and evaluated it. And I ended up paying a hundred dollars for a test that has been life-changing for me. So I applaud Epic so much for doing that because you don't want to burden a metastatic patient with additional financial costs or headaches because it can be devastating to continue paying out of pocket, out of pocket, out of pocket. So thank you for doing that. That's fabulous. Um, Brian, how long do you think until, um, oh, I'm sorry, you, you'd already said this. I'm like, I'm going back to my old questions. So we're hoping it's going to be available on a broader scope in January. That's correct. Yeah, that's correct. Perfect. January is when we plan to have it available really to any, you know, at any cancer center across the United States. Um, right now, it's available at approximately 25 to 30. But, mm -hmm. you know, if folks are, are listening to this and thinking like, gosh, that sounds great. I want to learn more. Again, they can go to our website. And we're, you know, we're actively looking for, you know, additional folks who may be interested 
Um, you know, come January is when we anticipate things like Medicare or some, you know, some levels of Medicare reimbursement and, and those kind of things, as you and Kander alluded to, that, that's obviously critically important, um, you know, and we're, we're going to do everything in our power to make sure that come January, we've got, you know, strong financial assistance programs and strong insurance coverage so that, um, you know, we, we don't want costs to be a barrier to access to, to, for any patients. Perfect. Thank you. I greatly appreciate that. And having gone through it twice myself and hit my out-of-pocket maximum literally two years in a row from getting a December diagnosis, do not recommend that. Uh, <laughs> unfortunately, cost is always an issue. So is there anything um, that we've missed that you really think we just want to get out there in our last minute? Brian, uh, jump into you. <laughs> sure. I'll just give a plug to Kendra. So Kendra uh, is one of the things she's been working on is kind of a, a publication, a paper that sort of summarizes this clinical experience program that we've had. Um, and, and so that is, uh, th that has incorporated feedback from uh, 17 of the approximately 20 medical oncologists who initially participated in our program. Um, and, you know, as Dr. Booker alluded to with kind of her experience, that the feedback has been very positive. You know, I think that we haven't talked to the patients directly ourselves, but, you know, through the medical oncologist and through some of the nursing staff, we've heard very positive feedback. Um, you know, to be very clear, we're, we're not looking to replace tissue biopsy as kind of that first line standard of care at this time, um, but we are looking to make life maybe a little bit easier, a little, little less invasive for those patients who are you know, multiple lines into their metastatic journey and really wanting to make sure we can give folks up-to-date information because we know those cancer cells are, we know that they're like poorly behaved teenagers who aren't, aren't <laughs> doing exactly what we want them to do. And so, you know, we, we need those tracking devices on this, the teenagers' phones to know where they're at and define MDC is, is kind of like that for the cancer cells, like up-to-date, real-time, what, what is going on and how can we best move forward? Perfect. And I want you to remember whenever you bring up that teenager analogy again, that it came from me. So <laughs> thank you all so much for being here, Dr. Booker, Kendra, and Brian. I'm so thankful and appreciative for all that you do for metastatic patients um, and for Compass Oncology, where I go, of course, because it's amazing and that epic again. So thank you all for being here today. Listeners, you can find out more at definemBC.com or epicsciences.com. And I know that Epic is also working on other cancer uh, tests and things like that. So please check it out. And also thank you to Epic for sponsoring our episode today. If you or a loved one need our services, please go to breastfriends.org and check out patient programs. If you'd like to donate, you can do so on our website or by texting BF Radio to 41444. Our show is available on all the major podcast platforms and Voice America's health and wellness channel. There's over 350 prior episodes, so please check them out. If you'd like to nominate yourself to be my guest or share your warrior story, you can reach me at michellebeck at breastfriends.org. We'll be back next week. And until then, remember, we rise by lifting each other. Thank you for listening to Breast Friends Cancer Support Network. Please join Michelle back again next Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We rise by lifting each other.